Well, if you have your Bibles, we're looking at the book of Malachi this morning. I hope you have your Bibles. Take your take his word and turn to uh, Malachi. It's uh, If you go to the New Testament, uh, Matthew is the first book. And then go left one book. Uh, we come to the book of Malachi. And this morning we're going to be uh, completing our uh, study of the Old Testament. I know that you uh, in the chronological reading right now or in the New Testament. And uh, eventually we're going to tr- catch up, church. <laughs> we're going to get there. But, uh, but uh, we want to complete uh, Matthew or Malachi this morning. And, uh, you know, as Malachi, the, the, the prophet to uh, Judah, uh, this is post-exile, the people were really discouraged. And, uh, you know, they, I think they kind of thought, saw their, their relationship with God as, as more of a 100-yard dash. You know, when we make a commitment to to follow God's ways, we're, we think that we're just going to encounter blessing immediately and we're going to live on the mountaintop for the rest of our life. And yet that's not what the Christian life is like. The Christian life is not a 100-yard dash. It is a marathon. It is a lifelong journey. And in this marathon, there is lots of valleys. There are lots of detours. There are a lot of dead ends and dry holes uh, that we need to just be prepared for and know that through all of those, God is faithful. Now, in the book of Malachi, um, the people of God, Judah, have completed the temple They've completed the wall. Uh, Zechariah has prophesied that uh, God is going to fill his house. There are going to be a multitude of blessings that come upon Jerusalem. And yet, none of those things have occurred. When Judah rebuilt the temple... There was never the manifestation of God's presence in the second temple like there had been with the tabernacle that Moses had erected and that Solomon had built in Jerusalem when he built the temple the first time. When, when those things first came about, there was the supernatural manifestation of God's presence. And yet in that second temple, none of those things have occurred. And when Malachi comes on the scene, the people of God are really discouraged. In fact, they're rather pessimistic and cynical, and they're questioning whether it's really worth it to follow God. Look at Malachi chapter 2, verse 17. The scripture says, you have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? The people are upset. It appears as if the evil 
people are getting away with things, that God is blessing the evil people as opposed to those who are righteous and wanting to do right. Look at uh, chapter 3, verse 13. The Bible says, Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, How have we spoken against you? And you, you have said, It is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Ever been there? Ever questioned God's sovereignty and you've looked at the unrighteous and and seen how they get ahead and you seem to get further behind? They were questioning God's love. God, you don't love us. And that's the way Malachi begins his prophecy in chapter 1. In verse 2, it says, this is God saying, I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And he goes on, God, God chose Jacob. God has blessed, God has watched over and has sustained Jacob. Yes, they've gone through exile. Yes, they've gone through uh, the, the hand of discipline uh, from the God, but But God has brought them back to Jerusalem, and God has sustained them, and God has blessed them, unlike Esau, whom God says he's going to judge forever. I love you. I have chosen you, Israel. You are mine. And yet the people of God have questioned those things. Now, it's not like God hasn't lived up to his promises. God has been faithful. God has lived up to his promises. It's the people of God who have not lived lived up to their side of the covenant. They have not kept his holy name. They have not honored it. And we're going to be looking at the, the honor, honoring the name of the Lord this morning. It's a very important theme in this, this book of the Bible. But before we get there, I just want to just kind of review, particularly where we're at today, the people of God. You know, if I, as I have explained uh, Judah's heart here in this passage of Scripture, it's no different from ours. When we read the Old Testament, when we read about Israel in the Old Testament you need to see that Israel is a mirror, is a reflection of our own hearts. I don't know. I think that's a fill-in-blank maybe, Larry. Uh, you're controlling it back there this morning. It's, it's too complicated for me. But, but that's what, as we read God's Word, particularly through the Old Testament, Israel is a mirror of our own hearts. Go back to um, Nehemiah for a moment. Now, Nehemiah, it's back before Job, um, just before Esther. Um, Nehemiah is a contemporary of Malachi. 
Okay, um, as we've been going through the Bible chronologically, as you read Genesis through the book of Esther, that is the history of Israel. Now, where do these prophets come in? Well, these prophets are kind of like spotlight books of what's been happening in Israel's history. And so Malachi, the last book of the Bible, is not really um, the last part of Israel's history. Well, it is the last part of Israel's history, but it takes place in the time of Nehemiah. All right? And I just want to give you uh, a picture, a snapshot of uh, what's of the nature of man and how it reflects our own. Um, In Nehemiah, the temple has been rebuilt. The wall has been rebuilt. Uh, Ezra, the the priest, has come back and he's reintroduced the the law to the people that the the people had forgotten while in exile in Babylon. And uh, there's the reading of the law. And in chapter 9... Um, here is a prayer of, of Ezra representing the people. Verse 32 says this, Now therefore our God, the great and mighty, the awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardships seem little to you that has come upon us, our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, and we have acted wickedly. Isn't that isn't that profound? You know, all these bad things, all this discipline that has come upon God's people, the, pipe, the, the people see that this is God's faithfulness in their life because they know that they have acted wick, wickedly and God has been righteous in all that he's done. Verse 34, our kings, our princes, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them. Even in their own kingdom. And amid your great goodness that you gave them, and in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves. And its rich yield goes to the king's whom you have set over us because of our sins. Doesn't this sound like the United States of America right here? They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing on the sealed documents that are the that are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. Judah is just a mere uh, province right now. They're a postage stamp, postage stamp size in, in, the, uh, in the region or in the territory of um, Persia. 
Persia owns all the land. Persia has allowed the Jews to come back to Jerusalem, but their territory is just the size of a postage stamp compared to the rest of the map. And they know that they are in this situation. They serve other kings because of their own sin. And so they pay a lot of tribute. They pay a lot of taxes to other people. And they are a slave in their own territory. And it's because of the sin of the people. And so they acknowledge that. And they make a a covenant anew with, uh, with their God. In chapter 10, they commit to do three things, okay? Number one, they are going to guard their marriage and family. They're going to guard their marriage and their family. Number two, they're going to honor the Sabbath, verse 31. And number three, they are going to take care of the Lord's house. This is chapter 10 of Nehemiah. Nehemiah goes away. He's the governor of Judah, but he goes back to Babylon for approximately 12 to 13 years. When Nehemiah comes back, the people have broken every one of those promises. Number one, they've intermarried with pagan nations. Let me bring that up. Is there, is there a blank for that? Okay. They've broken the Sabbath. And they have defiled the Lord's house. In less than one generation, after the people said, we're going to commit to these things, their leader goes away, and when they come back, they've broken all of their promises. Look at what Nehemiah does in chapter 13, verse 25. Nehemiah has come back. He has seen these broken promises. And the Bible says this, And I confronted them and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair. Aren't you glad that Nehemiah isn't your pastor? (laughs) I mean, this is extreme. And yet Nehemiah is upset because the people are right back where they were before. Again, church, this is a mirror. This is a reflection of our human nature. God doesn't want us to break his promises. You know, God wants us to keep his Sabbath. God wants us to take care of his church. God doesn't want us to intermarry with other pagan nations. Well, what do you mean, Pastor, intermarry with other pagan nations? Well, this was serious for the Jews because if they would intermarry with, with, na- with people of other nations, they served other gods. And those other gods became their gods and their hearts were turned away from the one and only God. Nehemiah mentions this in verses 26 and 27 of chapter 13. He says, do not... Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? Among the many nations, there were no king like him, and he was beloved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women made him to sin. 
how do we allow our children to intermarry with other pagan nations? It's different today, church. But we have a responsibility as parents to encourage our children not to be unequally yoked. When you begin to date, when you begin to pursue dating relationships, young people, you need to look for people, potential mates, who are like-minded in your faith. You may be here and you may be thinking, well, Pastor, if, if I make that kind of commitment, that really narrows the field. And there's not much to choose from. Well, my friend, if you have to wait, please wait. Because if you pursue relationships with, with people who don't have the same values that you have, guess what? Your life becomes sideways. And you begin to follow their gods. They're not idol worshipers, pastor. No. Their gods are the gods of this world, of worldliness. Of sensuality. Of living for themselves. My friends, it is so important that we encourage our children to pursue relationships where those people share the same values, same, share the same faith that you, you hold dear to your heart. Solomon didn't do that. And as a result, his heart was turned from God, which impacted an entire nation. So this is where the people of God were when Malachi came on the scene in the book of Malachi. So go back to Malachi this morning. This is the last book of the Old Testament. This is the last word from the Lord that would last for 400 years. There would be 400 years of silence between Malachi and John the Baptist Uh, coming on the scene. There are some important themes, two important themes in this passage, in this book of the Bible. One, that God's name is to be honored and glorified. And number two, that God is the Lord of hosts. And we'll, we'll, we'll finish there at the end of this message. God wants his name to be honored. How do we honor his name? God tells us through his prophet Malachi in this book in this in this book of the Bible. Number 1, we honor God's name in our worship. In our worship. Like I said, the people of God had become cynical. They were questioning God's love. They were wondering, is this even worth it? And it was reflected in how they worshiped the Lord. Look at chapter 1, verses uh, 6 through 8. Scripture says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. 
If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? Look at verse 11. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name in a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is its food, may be despised. But you say... What a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. How do we honor God's name? We honor God's name when we, when we worship him by giving him our very best. These people, they were giving God their leftovers. They were giving God sacrifices that were blemished. They had made covenants back in the book of of Nehemiah, that they were going to pay attention to the offerings and that they were going to give God the first fruits, that the the firstborn male was going to belong to God. And they said that with their mouth, but with their actions, they gave the lesser. Their worship was pathetic. And what they presented to the Lord. Look at verses. Uh, chap- look at chapter three, verses seven through twelve. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? And yet you have robbed. You have been robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You are cursed. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that you will not destroy the fruits of your soil. So it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a, be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. 
The reason why the people are discouraged, the reason why the people, uh, God isn't blessing Judah, is because they are not honoring his name. And the first way we honor his name is giving God our very best. Giving God the first fruits, not the leftovers. Folks, this is a very important principle. And is it because God is needy, that God is impoverished, that he needs our generosity? Absolutely not. The Bible says in verse 11 of chapter 1 that his name is going to be exalted. His name is going to be uh, um, praised uh, forevermore. It's ongoing right now. But if you want to be in on the blessing, and God wants to bless you, the priority of our life is to honor him with our worship. The things, the resources that he has entrusted to us, it belongs to him. I'm concerned. I'm concerned about our church and the future of Emmanuel. Pastor Henry did a study of our giving uh, here recently. And uh, interesting statistic. Those in our church, 45 and older, give 90% of the income to our budget. And those 44 and below give 10% of our income to the budget. Churches, if this doesn't change over the next few years, who are we going to be passing the baton to? And what kind of church will we be? We need to be equipping. We need to be discipling the next generation behind us that our very best of what he's entrusted us belongs to him. We are to give back to God off the top the first fruits of what he's given to us rather than the leftovers. And that's what was happening here. They were giving God the leftovers, what they didn't need. And God says, my name is not being honored among you. Is God speaking to your heart? Are you giving your very best to him? Are you questioning his love in your life this morning? Are you saying to yourself, I'm not sure that it's worth it. Look at the unrighteous. They're getting away with murder and and I'm trying to do the right thing and yet I don't seem to be getting to head. Or are you truly worshiping him with your resources? That's the first way we honor his holy name. The second way is in chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. Chapter 2, verses 14 to 9, we honor his name through our words, through our words. Look at verse 4. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace. 
and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge. Now, when you see the word priest in this passage of Scripture, it's not merely talking about the Levites in the Old Testament. If you go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, the Bible says that we are his priests in the New Testament. Not just me as the pastor, but those who are followers of Jesus Christ. We are all priests unto him. So he's speaking to all of us here, okay? For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is a messenger. He is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. People were being critical. People were being condescending. They had sharp words. They didn't have loving and kind words, words of peace. No, their their words tore down. So my question to you, follower of God, Christian, what are your words like? I'm not talking about the words when we're at church, okay, when we put on our, our best appearance. No, what are your words like at home? When, when you're stressed out, you, when your children are frustrating you, do you lash out in anger? Do you have harsh words? Or do you have words of love and, and correction? But, but you're encouraging them? If I were to go to your place of employment and ask your coworkers uh, what your language is like, what would they say? Malachi is conveying to us in this passage of Scripture, if you want to honor the name of the Lord, you will do so by the words that you use. The third way we honor the Lord is in verses 10 through 16 of chapter 2. We honor him in our marriage and family. Let me read verses 10 through 11 through 16. Judah has been faithless and an abomination has been committed to in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he, has no, he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? 
because the Lord has witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the, and what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. We honor God's name by maintaining our covenant relationship with our spouse. This isn't just have to do with men divorcing their wives. It's also about wives divorcing their husbands as well. It's a two-way street. And when it comes to a covenant relationship, it's not just a a two-person covenant. It is a three-person covenant covenant. When you made a covenant with your husband or your wife, you were making a covenant with God and God was going to hold you, is holding you accountable to that marriage relationship. Why does God consider the covenant relationship with our spouse so sacred, so important? Because church, it is a reflection. It is a picture of the gospel. It is a picture of the covenant that God has made with us when he called us his own. And God is never going to break that covenant. He will always be faithful. And when we break our covenant with our spouse here on earth, it's a lie of who God is to us. Why does God consider this so important? Number two, because he wants to produce godly offspring through the life of our children. When we don't live up to that covenant, it is reflected in generations that come behind us. We honor his name through our worship, what we give back to him, through the words that we convey to those who matter most around us and those that we work with. And we honor him through our marriage and our family. And number four, we honor him in believing that God will prevail that God will prevail. Again, going back to the context of our passage here this morning, the the people were frustrated. They were critical. They were cynics. Let me just read verses 13 through 15 again in chapter 3. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. 
What is the profit of our keeping his charge or walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. But look at verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. There was a remnant that wasn't cynical, that continued to believe in God, and they got together, and they began to speak with one another. And look what the Bible says, and the Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Look at chapter 4, verse 2. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. And you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Who's God going to do this to? Those who believe in his holy name. The remnant who continues to be faithful in a world that is oppressive. In a world where there's little justice. But instead of allowing the world to get you down and you question God's sovereignty and you say it's not worth it anymore, no, those who continue to be faithful, in spite of the opposition, in spite of the temptation, God is going to bring healing to them. We honor his name by believing whom God is. This life, Christian, is a marathon. It is a lifelong journey. It's not a 100-yard dash. No, it is a lifelong journey full of valleys, full of disappointment. And we must continue to be faithful to give our very best when it comes to worship, to guard our words and make them ensure that they are seasoned with salt and life and love and encouragement, to be faithful to our spouse regardless of the temptations around us. Why? So that we can pass our faith on to the next generation and the next generation Just know that God hears the faith, the the belief in who he is. Your name is written in his book. Nobody knew this more than Malachi. 
Malachi says over and over again, 24 times in this this little book, he is the Lord of hosts. And that means that he is the host means armies. God is the Lord of the one and only army. God isn't desperate and needy for our worship. No, there is worship that's taking place around his throne 24-7. There are millions of angels that are at his throne worshiping who who he is. His name is honored. His name is glorified. And it's going to be... It's going to be spelled out through all the world for all the nations to see. And Malachi is inviting us to be a part of that. Not because God needs it, but because when we do, we are in his position. We are in a place where God can bless us. where there will be healing in its wings, where you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Are you there? For most of us, we're probably not. But we don't live by sight. God doesn't want us to live by sight. He tells us to live by faith knowing that he's the Lord of hosts and that he is going to prevail forevermore. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are here. That God, you want us to honor your name. First question. Are you trusting him with your resources? Are you giving from the top? Or are you giving from the bottom? Ask him to help you to be a a good steward, a good manager of what he's entrusted to you. And trust him with the first fruits. Are your words filled with righteousness and peace? Are your children... Are your grandchildren encouraged? Do they love your voice? When you're gone from this earth, are your words going to remain? Are there going to be words of love and encouragement? That you were their biggest cheerleader? That's what God would have us leave behind. Because we're to be a reflection of who he is. We're priests. We represent him. 
your marriage what it needs to be. Are your children following your example? Your grandchildren? Lord, Malachi's words, actually your words through Malachi, it is very straightforward. There's nothing confusing about this little book. God, I pray that it would make a difference in each of our lives as we live our lives for you. God, here at Emmanuel, we want your name to be honored. We want your name to be exalted. Lord, forgive us for where we've failed you. Draw us back, Lord, to the cross where we failed, God. We ask that you would forgive and that you would renew. You would restore. We love you. In Jesus' name. Would you stand, please?